0: Alright, and we are rolling. Hello and welcome into Lapping the Field, everyone. I am your host, Eric Beck. I've just been sitting down here in the basement for the past couple minutes, waiting to see if I get any more people walking around upstairs above me. This basement would be just fine as a recording studio, quote-unquote recording studio, as it were. Unfortunately, when you have a 100-plus-year-old floors up above your head, they get to be real squeaky. Other thing we have to acknowledge here with this is that this is coming out a little later than previous episodes have, a little later in the week, and that is because thanks to having both a weather delay in the cup race and the cup race being on cable, Had to wait a couple days there for the race to be available on YouTube so I could actually comment on it with maybe a little more of an understanding about what happened than just from watching the highlight reel from the race. Something I realized watching the highlight reel from the Xfinity race, I think it was the Xfinity race earlier this week, was that you get to see the highlights of different things that happened throughout the race, but you don't necessarily get to see them in context of what was happening during the racing itself so you see an accident but you don't necessarily see what led up to the accident you don't necessarily get an understanding of how the race was ebbing or flowing at different points in time so it was nice to be able to see it and there we go squeaky floors right on cue i guess but it is nice to be able to see that entire that race in its entirety flag to flag, even if it was split up over a couple of days there with the weather delay. It was cool to see Martinsville under the lights. It's not a thing that we've seen a ton in the past because, as we said in last week's episode, the lights are newer to Martinsville. Back when I went there in 2007, Martinsville did not have lights yet at that point, so... That's already almost 15 years ago, so sometime in the last 15 years Martinsville put lights in and they were able to at least attempt to get some racing in in both the Xfinity and Cup Series races under the lights. Both of them unfortunately pushed terrain delays and had to finish both races on Sunday with the Xfinity race being first and then the Cup race finishing later off in the day. So let's go ahead. We're not going to talk a ton about the Xfinity race, but we will get to it at least a couple aspects of it. But let's go ahead and recap the Cup Series race first, and then we'll follow that up with the results and the standings from the race. A couple of things to talk about with the Cup Series race. First of all, just want to acknowledge that last week as we were going through the... uh, The what we might expect from Martinsville, where we might expect people to be finishing, who we might be expecting to win that race. Apparently I was not using the most up-to-date statistics because there were two Martinsville races that were run last year, and we had statistics from one Martinsville race from last year. But as it turned out, we did not really need the entirety of those statistics because Martin Truex Jr., one of the three people we identified as a potential uh, person to watch, is the guy who did end up winning that race. So Truex becomes the first driver this season to be a repeat winner. A stat I saw somewhere online earlier this week was that in the past x number of seasons however many seasons it was but in the past few seasons the first driver to win or to be a repeat winner so the first driver to be a repeat winner in the season has either gotten into the championship four or won the championship So it will be interesting to see. I know it is only eight races into the season when we still have many more to go, but it will be interesting to see if that trend continues. I'm a person who does love those uh, trends and statistics, which we will get to talking about uh, next week's race later on in this podcast episode. But as it was, Truex there, the number 19 car, being able to pull off the win, even though he did not necessarily have the most dominant car throughout the race. The most dominant cars throughout the race belonged to Ryan Blaney and Denny Hamlin. Blaney, who has won this season, and Hamlin, who is still looking for his first win. But those two cars were dominant. Hamlin was a little better with his, uh, his short runs and then started to fall off a little bit as runs got to be longer which benefited him pretty well in that third stage with the number of cautions they had until that final run, which did end up being a little longer than the other ones. So Hamlin's car fell off a little bit. Blaney swept stages one and two. He was able to win both of those stages, but had a penalty on the final pit stop of the day for bringing equipment out of his pit box, the the air hose for the the air gun that helps with getting the wheels, getting the lugs off the wheels, getting the wheels off the car. He caught that underneath his front fender on the left side and dragged that out of his pit style stall, that is, along with some more squeaky floors. So that ended up, Blaney was able to recover a little bit, but not to the point of being able to come back and challenge for the race win. So truex has won now i think it's three of four at martinsville in the last couple years so truex becoming more of a player at the short tracks one of the one of the knocks against truex as we i will continue to apologize for the squeaky floors as they happen but one of the knocks against truex earlier in his uh once he started to pick up winning more races was that he came to be known as mile and a half martin he got that moniker for during his championship season seven of his eight wins were on mile and a half tracks and he didn't have a short short track win until much later in his career but now that he has been uh, continuing to improve as a driver even after his championship season we've seen him getting better on these short tracks and as has been seen here now the past couple years is a person to be a contender whether he is dominant throughout the day or not other than those couple things, just talking about Blaney, Hamlin, and Truex, I don't necessarily know that there is a whole lot other other stuff that I want to touch on. There was definitely more of a more of an issue with. With wrecks, with especially one major wreck during stage three, than there were in stages one and two. Stages one and two were actually relatively quiet, but I think we ended up getting to a uh, stage record pits or not pit stop stage record caution flag presence in that stage three, just with the number of accidents that were happening. A lot of them happening with uh, cars that were not even close to contending during the race. But that final, the final wreck collected uh, quite a few cars on the backstretch, and was what ended up leading to that Ryan Blaney penalty in the pits. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of these. Uh, we're going to pull up the standings here, if I'm able to get these up on the screen for you. We're going to pull up the standings here. We're going to take a look at these, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the trends we've been seeing from some of these drivers thus far. I mentioned Denny Hamlin earlier in this uh, this episode already, him having a, a pretty good run there in Martinsville. Denny Hamlin has been having a very good run thus far this season, even though he has not yet won a race. Denny Hamlin currently in eight races, has seven top fives. Seven top fives in eight races. His his worst race of the season, his worst finish of the season, was 11th at Homestead. That's his worst finish of the season this far. That is why, if it were not for the wins thus far, Denny Hamlin would be leading the standings. And in some ways, Denny Hamlin is still leading the standings because the season, the regular season, that is, the regular season points leader ends up guaranteeing his spot in the playoffs, whether he wins a race or not, or whether that driver wins a race or not. So at this moment, Denny Hamlin is leading pretty well on in terms of points. And so he currently is in a pretty good position here, eight races into the season with 18 left in the regular season. So I would expect for Denny Hamlin to be challenging for a win here as time continues on. I would be surprised, shocked even, if Hamlin did not win a race this season. But as it stands, he has been doing very well, being very consistent. We've talked about this a little bit, that consistency during races and where you finish in each of the stages plays a major contributing factor to the number of points you were able to accumulate in a race. The more you're able to do that race to race to race is going to benefit you greatly as time continues on. Now, as we get into the playoffs later on in the year, it is going to be more beneficial to be able to win races, but you are still going to be wanting to have those top five finishes throughout the season. And speaking of someone who's been doing well, just in terms of consistent finishes, for all the trouble that we've been talking about at Stuart Haas Racing, Kevin Harvick has six top tens this season so far in eight races. So even though Stuart Haas has been having issues with their equipment and kind of uh, recognized at least in the media issues with their equipment, and there have been some acknowledgments from inside of Stuart Haas Racing that they're not able to do some of the things they've been able to do in the past with these cars, at least on a technical side especially with the uh, the changes that have come in terms of teching the cars, checking to make sure that they're within the specifications that are allowed by NASCAR when they get to these tracks. With all those things said, Harvick has been fighting his way into the top 10 really every single week, basically, so far. And it has vastly outperformed the rest of the vehicles over there at Stuart Haas. Once again, we had a situation where you have... Uh, you have Eric Almirola finishing poorly again. And so Almirola, which we touched on before, Almirola is a guy who we're going to have to watch as the season continues to see if he is able to bounce back from this. Because honestly, we'll we'll touch on this a little bit more, uh, possibly today, but certainly as time goes on. If you're not able to have those finishes, whether they're necessarily your fault or not, this is, as we have said in the past, a way to see yourself out the door if you're not able to start bringing in finishes that are better than 30th so those two guys we've seen there we'll take a look here and cover a few more of the the drivers here in these standings martin tricks jr with his win moves up to the top of the pack joey logano right behind him those two only separated by one point they are separated by one win but separated also just by one point Following those two, we have Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, William Byron, Christopher Bell, and Michael McDowell. Those are still your seven winners on the season. And it is worth noting, we touched on this before, that Michael McDowell was in a position where he is racing for a team that doesn't necessarily typically contend for playoff spots, or they're contending for the bottom of the positions. So McDowell would maybe have been someone who you would say... He already has raced his way in with a win, and that maybe would have been the only way possible for him to get in. Last week, if not for that win, he would have been in 12th. This week, if not for that win, he would be in 16th. So it is worth continuing to monitor Michael McDowell as someone who has already won as we go throughout the season to notice that it may end up being the case that McDowell, without that win, will end up with a finishing position lower than 16th and so it will be curious to see if there are drivers who are not making their way into the playoffs because someone who would have finished up below the cut line has raced their way in with a win so beyond that Denny Hamlin we talked about currently in eighth sitting there with a whole heck of a lot of points just looking at the standings I'm looking at via ESPN, it looks like Denny Hamlin is 76 points clear of Martin Truex Jr., who would be in second. So Hamlin is at almost two races clear of Martin Truex Jr. in terms of points. Following Hamlin, we've got Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chris Busher, and Kurt Busch wrapping up your top 16 the drivers who are currently in those playoff positions i want to move now there are a whole lot of different things that i want to touch on as this season goes along and we're kind of having to try to weave our way in and out of different topics as different things come up one of the things that came up this week is sort of i've been looking at the the premier teams in NASCAR. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past. In my consideration, the four premier teams are for the Fords. You have the Penske cars, the three Penske cars, and then the four Stuart Haas cars. Those are your premier teams from Ford. Premier team from Chevy, you have the Hendrick cars, Hendrick Motorsports cars. And then from Toyota, you have the Gibbs cars, those four cars. And it's been interesting to see over the past couple weeks that there is becoming to be more clearly drivers in those teams who are at the front of the pack in their teams. Actually, as we talk about this, we'll, we're will we going to cut out Stuart Haas as we talk about this because we've talked about Stuart Haas's issues right now for the other three teams, Gibbs, Penske, and Hendrick. There seems to be right now three drivers or, or two in the case of Penske, who are at the front of their teams, and then one who is sort of lagging behind the other teams inside of their respective ownership group, teams, etc. So that is an interesting thing that I would love to talk about right now, and it may come to a point where we will be able to talk about it more, expand on it more. But at the moment, I want to actually touch on the teams that are not the premier teams. So outside of those four teams, which I would, which I will continue to call the premier teams in NASCAR, you see a lot of teams who are for the most part, it's either a one car team or a two car team. And some of these teams have been premier teams in the past. A lot of these, they're almost like a tier one, a tier one B, and then a tier two, and then kind of going down the list from there as we consider these different race teams. Some of these 1B tier teams have been top premier teams in the past. But for whatever reason, the funding isn't there right now, or there's just sort of been a drop-off in their performance, or something something inside of race shops. For whatever reason, they are not competing at as high of a level. And it is showing in their, uh, their standings, their results throughout the years that we've been seeing here. So I want to touch on some of these teams. In my opinion, this sort of 1B-level team in terms of if we're ranking them by tiers. You're looking at first Chip Ganassi Racing, who owns the 1 driven by Kurt Busch and the 42 driven by Ross Chastain. The next team you're looking at is Richard Childress Racing. You're looking at the 3 of Austin Dillon and the 8 of Tyler Reddick. Roush Fenway Racing, which was one of these premier teams as recently as, well, it's almost 20 years ago now, but they, Roush Fenway was the team that, they were at a point where they had five drivers at one point, and NASCAR had to change the rules that you can only have four vehicles per team, so Roush Fenway was at that point at one point. Now you're seeing them with Chris Busher in fifteenth and Ryan Newman in eighteenth, and just those two cars, the seventeen and the six, respectively, that they are—they have fallen down to this uh, next tier down in terms of as we're ranking these teams. At least, again, in my opinion. Then I'm going to put a team here that is sort of on the fringe. They have not been one of these top premier teams in the past but they are kind of sticking around right now as it is, JTG Doherty Racing, who has the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and the 37 of Ryan Priest. Stenhouse Jr. I saw earlier today, I think, has all top 20 finishes this season. Eight races, eight top 20s. So this is a team that maybe doesn't necessarily have that push week after week after week to get to the front, but they have been performing consistently and at the moment it is showing. They may not be doing as well as they would love to be doing, but they have two drivers in the top 20 right now and with one of them in a playoff position and one of them poised to move into a playoff position, they seem to be doing at least okay for the moment. Next on this list as we're going through, this is a team that I'm not entirely sure how to qualify. As far as the multi-vehicle teams, multi-car teams, I'd say this is definitely towards the back of the pack, and that's front row racing. And I will, in the same breath of saying them, acknowledge that Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500 this year, and so because of that, is up in seventh as we have these standings right now. But if not for that win, would be in 16th. And then they have a rookie in Anthony Alfredo who is currently sitting down in 29th position in the standings. And it certainly doesn't seem like Anthony Alfredo, at least at the moment, is going to be challenging for uh, consistent upper or middle level finishes throughout the season. So that that is the majority of the two car teams that we're going to talk about. Then we come down to these single car teams. Now, it is worth saying that single car teams today are it's, it's an interesting situation because a lot of these single car teams especially have alliances with bigger teams. So a couple of these that we have listed here, 2311, which is a new team this season, co-owned by Michael, well, primarily owned by Michael Jordan, co-owned by Denny Hamlin. They have an alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing and with Toyota TRD, Toyota Racing Development. The Wood Brothers, they're running a Ford and they have an alliance with Penske, so it is almost as though they're another Penske team. And then Trackhouse, I'm not entirely sure but I think Trackhouse has a has a relationship with Richard Childress Racing. Uh do not quote me on that. And the same goes with I think Richard Petty Motorsports, which is another of these single car teams. So of these four teams, 2311, let's let's start with them. In terms of money, just in terms of how they're able to fund their operation and bring in equipment, I think this is the team that is probably the most set in terms of this uh, this this tier ranking, as it, as it were. A lot of that has to do with Michael Jordan being the money behind the organization and with the different groups, different companies who are coming in as sponsors, as primary sponsors because of Michael Jordan being associated with the team. So 23-11, I would would expect to be moving forward to be challenging for a position in being a successful team. As it stands, they're in their infancy still. This is still their first season of operation, so they're still trying to figure things out. Currently, their driver, Bubba Wallace, is sitting down there in 19th position. The Wood Brothers, who we just touched on and who their driver is the shirt I'm currently wearing, for those of you watching, Matt Benedetto, currently in 22nd this year. He is having a down year. He's been racing for his life for the past couple seasons, trying to find rides uh, wherever is available, really. And this season we know will be Matt DiBenedetto's last with the Wood Brothers. Next season they will be bringing up a rookie, Austin Sindrick, from the Xfinity series that has already been reported. And Sindrick is running in a fourth Penske car in uh, a number of races this season. Not all of the races, but a number of races this season. Sort of to get him prepared to move into that cup ride next year. So on top of the Wood Brothers sort of being a a slightly underfunded team, you have a driver right now who already knows he's going to be looking for somewhere else to race next season. And I'm wondering whether that has a little bit to play into where they are right now. The next team we'll talk about is Trackhouse Racing. We talked about them last week. Their driver, Daniel Suarez, finished in the top five in the Bristol Dirt Race two weeks ago. Suarez right now is sitting in 23rd position, and this, again, is another team in its infancy. One of their uh, minority owners in terms of uh, in terms of the percentage of ownership is Pitbull, the rapper Pitbull. I'm curious as to what he can bring in terms of that sponsorship, star power type uh, stuff to this team. As it stands right now, Suarez is in 23rd. Richard Petty Motorsports, another of these single car teams eric jones is their driver he is in 26th he finished 30th at martinsville this past week and that brought him and his position in the standings down pretty significantly since we are still pretty early in the season and then the last of these top not top tier but top to the point of being a contender to some level is spire motorsports Spire sort of unexpectedly purchased a charter. I think they actually have purchased two charters now in NASCAR to have their vehicles guaranteed a spot in each race. At the moment, they only have one regular driver, Corey LeJoy, who after a ninth place finish at Daytona has finished no better than 27th. So we're seeing him sitting way down at the bottom of the standings as well. So Spire is another of these teams that is trying to figure out how to make their way, I guess, in the Cup Series. So having looked at all of these teams, part of my point in discussing and sort of focusing on the teams this week is that there is a much more difficult road for these drivers to challenge for consistency in finishes, to challenge for wins, and to ultimately try to challenge for a championship. I went back through the last five years of standings finishes well 2020 2019 2018 2017 so the previous four seasons for the most part this is the the uh, stage racing era of nascar i do believe that stage racing was introduced in 2017 if not it was 2016 but i'm pretty sure it was 2017 Since then, there have only been a handful of drivers from outside of the Premier teams that have won races in NASCAR. So if we look back to 2020, last season, Kurt Busch and Austin Dillon were the only two drivers to come from a smaller team to win a race. Season before that, when Kyle Kyle Larson was still with Chip Ganassi Racing, Kyle Larson was one of two drivers, Kurt Busch was the other driver. The season before that, we saw Austin Dillon. And then in 2017, we saw Larson Blaney, who was driving for the Wood Brothers at the time, Austin Dillon, and then Ryan Newman, who was driving for Richard Childress Racing at the time. Uh, One of the drivers, or the only driver who I left out of these wins was Martin Truex Jr. Martin Truex Jr. was driving for Furniture Row Racing in 2017 and 2018, won a championship in 2017 won something like 17 races or some not seven not 17 but like he won a lot of races double digit race wins over 2017 and 2018 but he had an alliance and the team had an alliance with joe gibbs racing so it was almost as though that car that was racing out of denver was a fifth joe gibbs team even though technically it wasn't, he was essentially, he was pulling, they were pulling information from Gibbs. They were pulling, uh, pulling along with information, They're pulling a lot of the same sort of parts into the vehicles, pulling a lot of setups into the vehicles. So there was a whole lot of connection between those two teams. So even though it was a smaller team, and even though it was not technically one of the premier teams, it did have a very close alliance with a premier team. And I'm curious, I'm wondering whether that is what is necessary for these smaller teams to be able to compete at the NASCAR level. The The curious piece of that in terms of current teams is 2311, in my opinion. This new team formed with Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin as backers or as owners. It sounds like there are a lot of rumors floating around right now that 2311 is looking to expand, uh, possibly fairly soon to have more than one vehicle racing out of that garage. And I I would expect that they would still have an alliance with Joe Gibbs if that were to happen. And it is also worth noting that Toyota as a manufacturer does not have a ton of cars racing in NASCAR right now, especially at the cup level. It's pretty much just the four Joe Gibbs cars and the one 2311 car. So for the most part, you only have five competitive Toyotas each race. And along with only having a very small number of vehicles in the race, you don't have a lot of places for drivers who who you are attempting to develop to move into a ride to try and continue to gain experience and continue to do well for you as a manufacturer. So that will be an interesting thing to monitor as time goes on. But ultimately, I think my... Interest and fascination with these lower tier teams is sort of just uh, a perpetual focus on underdogs, I guess, in my in my sports fandom life. What with living up here in Minnesota, we have not had the best of best of results in terms of our team sports. And so I think I've found myself cheering for underdogs throughout the entirety of sports. And that includes all of these teams. So that hopefully serves as an introduction to these these uh, non-premier level NASCAR teams. And then as the season goes on and as the podcast goes on, we'll continue to sort of integrate different aspects of things that we have talked about, but just to sort of have a base understanding of where where this information is coming from and where my thought process is at. The final thing to touch on in terms of the non-Premier versus Premier level teams, is the sort of barrier of entry to getting into the sport. What with these, specifically with the two new teams, with Trackhouse and with 2311, we're seeing teams come in who have to be backed by a ton of money in order to be able to compete in the sport. Specifically with 2311 and with Michael Jordan coming in, there is a whole lot of money that had to come in with them, especially since they were entering sort of later in the game as last season was wrapping up, in order to field a competitive car in these different these different uh, the different races this season that we've already been in. Part of the dilemma here, in terms of from NASCAR's perspective, is that you have these four different premier teams who, as time goes on, you're going to be seeing these owners getting older and older, and you're going to be wondering what is going to be happening with these teams moving forward, just in terms of an ownership perspective. Are you going to be able to continue to field, as NASCAR itself, to continue to field a good product and continue to field a competitive product if you are not able to get new teams into the sport? I think part of introducing the next gen car which we have already talked about part of introduce or already talked about in previous episodes not today but part of introducing that is hopefully i think from nascar's perspective bring, being able to bring the barrier of entry being able to bring the cost of entry down one of the things that was discussed earlier this week by Dale Earnhardt Jr who is a co-owner of junior motorsports which is one of the xfinity series teams is that he was very against trying to operate a cup-level team because of the cost, just knowing the sky-high prices that it takes to run vehicles in the Cup Series. Now his position his position apparently has shifted with the introduction of the next-gen car, and he said earlier this week that maybe with the next-gen car being introduced and with the lower cost per race for a car to be running in the Cup Series— maybe junior motorsports is a team that starts to explore adding cup teams maybe we're also seeing i think colleague racing is one of these one of these xfinity teams who maybe has interest in moving its way up to the cup series if that cost of entry comes down so along with being able to have the teams that are not premier premier level teams being able to compete at a higher level you're looking at are we able to bring new teams into the sport so we can continue to have different types of competition different sorts of drivers being able to move into the cup series and continue to have nascar continue to expand grow develop into a competitive sports league that can compete in the united states because if we if we look at just the results from the martinsville race which i won't pull up on the screen here yet or at all i guess (laughs) sorry for people watching on youtube but you would see if you were to look at the results that there were only 37 cars that ran in the martinsville race which is sort of in the history of nascar unheard of at these smaller the short tracks when you would have 50 or 60 vehicles trying to get into a race uh, whether they were able to qualify or not is a different question but having a lot more vehicles trying to gain entry into a race as it was when i was growing up when i first started watching the sport there were 43 cars in each race and that's just the way it was the the entry limit was 43 cars and there were 43 cars every week As time went on, that limit went from 43 to 40 just because you didn't have cars that were able to compete or to even attempt to gain entry to the sport to any given race. And now we're seeing as time goes on that we're not even able to field a field of 40 cars. That's a that's more of a tongue tongue twister than it needed to be. But you're not able to have even 40 cars show up for a race. So as time moves on, we will have to continue, I guess, to monitor the, monitor the situation in terms of cost, in terms of being able to find new teams to come into the sport, and hopefully to continue to have NASCAR racing be racing at a very high level. But we're going to move on from the Cup Series at the moment, and we're going to talk about uh, going back to Junior Motorsports Junior Motorsports got themselves a win this week in the Xfinity Series with Josh Berry, guy we talked about at Atlanta who took a, took a rocket ship off the, the Atlanta infield grass a couple of weeks ago. Josh Berry is running a partial Xfinity schedule this season for Junior Motorsports, and who has been running in late models, so not even in NASCAR, but in late model cars for Junior Motorsports. Josh Barry, it sounds like, is a guy who Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been a big advocate for already uh, throughout his career, and who has been trying to pull Josh Berry into the Xfinity series to be able to find funding to put sponsors on the car to be able to get Josh Berry into the car on more of a full-time basis than what has been seen. Because as it stands, Josh Berry is 30 years old, and this past week was only his 13th Xfinity Series race. And now having won an Xfinity Series race, we see what Josh Berry is able to do. And so you have these questions about, are there other Josh Berries who are running in late model series races or are running in other different types of racing who might have the ability to compete at a NASCAR level if they had the opportunity to get into a car? So definitely congratulations to Josh Barry for winning that race. And then we will continue to look as NASCAR continues forward into the future to see who else maybe they're able to bring into the sport to continue to I guess continue to surprise people as time goes on. There were a couple other things that came out of the Xfinity race, not a whole lot that I'm going to touch on here. We did have another scuffle on Pit Road after the race between uh is it Gray Galding, I believe, and Joe Graff Jr. Joseph Graf Jr. My my only issue that we're gonna to touch on with this is that Gray Galding admitted to dumping Joseph Graff Jr. Like, if you're going to do it, don't admit to doing it. What are you doing? <laughs> if you're going to dump him, don't admit to dumping him because that's going to cause problems for you with NASCAR. So as it stands, I don't know a ton about what led to the incident. I know Gray Golding felt slighted at some point during the race, and then that led to a fight on pit road after the fact. So we have had more fighting, more fighting in the Xfinity series, I think, than in the Cup Series this far in the season but we'll i guess have to wait and see what else happens it certainly is shaping up to be a more fiery uh fiery season down there in the xfinity series and thanks to having these races on youtube i was able to watch not just the cup series race but the xfinity series race from martinsville as well so that was that was a bit of a treat for me since a lot of those races also are broadcast on cable and not on broadcast television a couple, thi- couple more things we're going to touch on here before we go to the break. One thing in particular is COVID testing, COVID positive results coming into this weekend. There were a couple of noted positive results, uh, positive COVID testing results, one of them being the crew chief for Matt Benedetto, who was not able to be at the race because of his positive test. The other major positive COVID positive test that we heard about was Jeff Gordon, who is a broadcaster for Fox Sports, who was somehow still able to be present at the race and was able to be at in the booth with Clint Boyer. I did notice for both the Xfinity and Cup Series races that they had the driver commentators in one booth and then the, uh, I guess, play-by-play announcers in a different booth, it seemed like. So I don't know if that's just because of uh, because of the size of the booths at Martinsville or what the deal is with that. But it, it, it has brought up the point that in NASCAR so far, since coming back from the COVID break last May, it seems like NASCAR was the first sport to come back in the United States, at least the first professional sport. And it seems like they have maybe done the best in terms of responding to the COVID pandemic and responding to being able to keep drivers and crew members from getting positive tests. Because so far, as far as I'm aware, there were two drivers in the Cup Series last year who tested positive, Jimmy Johnson, who had to sit out a race, and Austin Dillon, who had to sit out a race. But other than that, I don't remember hearing about any other positive COVID results from drivers. We've now just had a couple more positive results from other people involved in the sport. But for the most part, it seems like there have been a very low number of positive test results, especially when you consider the number of games that have either needed to be postponed or canceled in the other four major sports in the United States. So... In terms of responding to COVID so far, I think NASCAR has done a pretty good job of being able to respond to the situation that they were presented with. Now, as a part of responding to COVID, they they being NASCAR, has allowed... Fewer people inside the garage area than there typically would be. You're seeing race teams being able to bring fewer people to the track, and basically almost no one else allowed inside the garage other than race officials and a few NASCAR commentators. That it sounds like is going to be changing starting with the Darlington race next month. From what I have heard, it sounds like teams will be allowed to bring single-digit number of guests who have been fully vaccinated into the garage area. So this will, this has been pointed out in a couple of different places to be good in terms of sponsorships, being able to have your sponsors come back in, uh, people working with your sponsors to come back in. Basically, it is a perk of being a sponsor that has not been able to be fulfilled for a year now, almost a full calendar year and apparently has been causing strife with sponsors in terms of feeling feeling like they should not have to be paying as much to the different teams that they are sponsoring because they are not getting these perks. Now, whether we want to discuss that aspect of it, I I don't have any intentions of discussing that. My main point here is that NASCAR is going to start opening up and going back to more of a quote-unquote normal or pre-pandemic sort of series of events that is more typical to a nascar race than what we have seen uh, here in the past in the past year that is so we're gonna have to another another thing we're just gonna have to monitor i guess but nascar now discussing bringing more people into the garage area people who have been fully vaccinated for covid and i think the The sort of understanding or belief is that NASCAR is announcing this now about a month in advance so that people who are involved with different teams or with different sponsors are able to get fully vaccinated in time to be able to take advantage of being in the garage area, being in the infield before the race begins uh, and have time to be able to do that before they start missing opportunities to have that have that available to them. And then the last thing we're going to talk about here before the break is more of a a fun bit of news. Apparently, NASCAR has a series that races in Europe. And earlier, I think this week, it was an or Pictures came out this morning that I saw this morning being Thursday, the 15th, as we're recording. We had a dirt race here in the United States and they decided that wasn't good enough across the pond. And so they practiced or tested on ice tires in France. (laughs) So they have NASCAR cars, stock cars, racing in Europe, and they decided to test them on an ice course. That's apparently a real thing. There's an ice course in France. (laughs) It's not a road course. It's an ice course. So there were pictures that came out. I don't think I technically have the ability to show these on screen so we'll have to link to them in show notes but nascar nascar is looking to potentially race on ice with studded tires so i don't know this is more of a fun thing to me than anything but it was very interesting to see they're very small tires compared to what you normally see it was like giant car and tiny tires it's like they're riding on riding on the donuts that you get if you get a flat get get the donut out and Go race around on those. Well, that was just a fun fun little tidbit I saw earlier today. So that, I think, covers everything we're going to hit here before the break. After we come back from our break, we're going to be previewing the Richmond race, which is happening next Sunday, and we will be attempting to get this episode out before those races run. I, I think I heard that the, the Truck Series race is running tonight, so we might not get this out before the trucks race, but we will hopefully be getting this out before the Cup Series races on Sunday, so we will be previewing what we might be expecting from this race coming up here after the break on Lapping the Field. Hey everyone, this is the point in most podcasts where you would maybe expect to hear an ad read, a Patreon plug, or something of that nature. While that may be something that ends up being integrated into this podcast in the future, I'm more concerned at the moment with getting this podcast up and running. So, No ads, no Patreon, but if you do want to find out more about this podcast or any other project I'm involved in, head over to ericbeckmedia.com. That's ericbeckmedia, all one word, dot com. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody, from that break. We are talking now about Richmond. Richmond, I think, might be my favorite track and is the track I most want to go to to actually see a race. Probably aren't going to be able to do that this year. I mean, I haven't been since 2007, so it's been a little while for me to have the opportunity to go, but hopefully at some point I'll be able to make my way down to Richmond and see a race under the lights. I do want to see a race under the lights in Richmond. That is not what is going to be happening this weekend. They're planning on running during the day, or as NASCAR seems to be wanting to do, pushing their race maybe into the late afternoon so they end up running under the lights anyways. (laughs) But the plan is for the Richmond race to be run during the day. It is another short track race. This is the third race in a row here at a short track. So this has been sort of a a mini short track swing for NASCAR. And then I believe they're headed off to larger locales as time goes on. Richmond is roughly a three quarters mile tri-oval down in Richmond, Virginia. I guess everywhere's down for me, but down there in Richmond, Virginia. We're looking at some statistics like we did last week. Last week when we looked at Martinsville, we did not have the most up-to-date statistics. According to the article I'm looking at on NASCAR.com, this was posted April 12th, 2021, which is three days ago. So I am relying on NASCAR for these results to be as up-to-date as possible, but it does only cover the last five races. So we're looking at probably back into 2018 or so with these race results. And we're going to take a look here. We're now off the the, the new winners or the different winners every week uh, the trend, I guess, that we had been on. What with Martin Truex Jr. having been a repeat winner here. So we're not necessarily looking to see who's going to continue the trend of, of first-time winners for the season. But we do have a list here of basically all top drivers who have averaged finishes better than 10th place over the last five races. And up at the top of that list is Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, who has averaged a 3.2 average finish of 3.2 over the last five races, which I have to say is pretty, pretty freaking good. He also, it says here, has two wins over the last five races. Kyle Busch is one of these drivers. I touched on this briefly before we started talking about smaller teams, that there are, it seems like each team has a driver who is sort of lagging behind the rest of the drivers with their team. Kyle Busch, I believe, is that driver for Joe Gibbs Racing right now. Even the, the second year driver in Christopher Bell has been having better finishes than Kyle Busch so i'll be curious to see here what kyle bush is able to do and if he continues this streak but the driver right behind him with an average finish of 4.2 over the last five races is martin truex jr martin Truex jr who has won also won two of the last five races quite possibly the last two races we saw at richmond and so truex is truex going to be the person who is able to continue building on race wins and will he win now two in a row win back to back and win multiple short track races here early in this season behind martin tricks jr we have kevin harvick with an average finish of 5.0 over the last five races harvick we've talked about having some issues i would be not surprised like maybe a little surprised if kevin harvick wins just based off of what the team's been doing thus far but he he's shown so far with his six top tens this season that he is a gamer and that he is here to compete and here to pull his team towards the front of the race if he has to do it by himself if he has to put the car on his back and run his way in so don't count kevin harvick out behind him brad keselowski brad keselowski is the guy in my opinion who is lagging behind the other two drivers at penske Brad Keselowski is the only other driver who has won in the last five races outside of Kyle Busch or Martin Truex Jr. and has an average finish of 5.8 over the last five races. The last three drivers here with respectively average finishes of 6.8, 7.8, and 7.8 are Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, and Chase Elliott. Behind them, we've got some of these smaller team drivers Austin Dillon, Tyler Reddick, Eric Almarola, Kurt Busch, and then Kyle Larson, who is now driving for Hendrick. And Christopher Bell rounds out drivers who are averaging a 15th place finish or better in the last five races. So moving forward, we will have to see, I guess, whether we can get some, some different drivers to get wins, whether we will continue towards that potential 16 driver win total however you want to phrase it. I may end up sneezing here, so that'll cut the audio out here for a second. Ow. That hurt. (laughs) But anyways, so we've got those those couple different drivers. It is more drivers who have had really pretty good finishes, averaging top 10 finishes, than we had at Martinsville. Martinsville, we only had three drivers. Here we have seven drivers who are averaging top 10 finishes in their last five races. So it will be interesting to see, It'll be interesting to see here going into, uh, going into Richmond, going into a final short track, a little bit longer of these short tracks, but a short track nonetheless. And it always seems to have a good show for NASCAR and for the fans going there to Richmond to race. So with all those things said, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show here. Not a whole lot more I want to discuss going into Richmond, and so we'll just have to wait and see. This is, thankfully for all of us, coming up to be a race which will be back on broadcast TV, and we'll be competing with the IRL, the Indy Racing League, who is opening their season and who is seeing a former NASCAR driver in Jimmy Johnson show up for his rookie season at age 45 in IndyCar. So I actually probably will be switching back and forth between Fox and NBC just to kind of keep track of what's going on in IndyCar. I know much, much less about IndyCar than I know about NASCAR, but it will be interesting to see how a former NASCAR champion does in his first, uh, not full season, but first part-time season running IndyCar. So with all those things said, I have been your host, Eric Beck. Thank you for listening to Lapping the Field. If you are listening on your podcast players, or if you're watching on YouTube, thank you for watching there.